This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. We're all about data here at Spooko. We're all about rigour. We're all about diving in deep. Shake big data. That's still something that people who try to sell products talk about, is it not? Cookies and big data and things like that. Well, here's an interesting point about the term big data, because Mm. it's a term that was thrown around by, you know, agencies in my industry sort of last year or the year before. People have sort of stopped using it. But when it originally came out, the, the point of big, big data was a bad thing. So big data was the thought that uh, we were going to have way too much data because every, you know, if, if you're even a mid-sized company, you're collecting so much data that you, you don't even know what to do with. And data is meaningless unless you do something good with it. So the thought of big data was, okay, we're going to have so much data. And, in, and, you know, there's stats that's like, you know, in the past month, the world's created more data than it had, you know, since Jesus' birth sort of thing. Yeah. And there's a reason why I bring up Jesus' birth in this episode. But anyway. Ah, another Christmas one. Sick. So Big Data is another case of one of those things where it's like the way things get lost in translation because now it's used as a thing to be like, oh, we'll, we'll utilise Big Data. It's like, no, no, no. Big Data is just a word for the problem that exists when we have too much data and we're not doing anything meaningful with it. Anyway, I, like, I don't know where this is going, Peach. What's going on? I'm going to crunch some data on one of our favourite topics, the Spooko TikTok account, which is <laughs> underscore Spooko underscore. Now, we have, Shag Drumroll, we've cracked double figures for all but one TikTok. Oh, all right, so we are, we are all over it. Now, let me just take a random selection of uh, the six most recent TikToks, right? Seven views, 12 views, 17 views, 173 views, 19 views, 3,957 views. <laughs> and th- this is consistent with your experience of TikTok, right? Sometimes the TikTok algorithm just straps a jetpack to one TikTok and, and off it goes. And, and something that people have been talking about recently in regards to the TikTok algorithm and Peach, you've got a pretty good ego. It doesn't, it, it can deal with a lot. Apparently mm. the algorithm favors good looking people. So if it senses it does. that Apparently, you're... <laughs> like it, it does, it scans for attractiveness and like the symmetry of faces. And so what's interesting about this outlier TikTok, you see, we will, we will get into it. The reason this data is interesting is that almost every single TikTok on the Spooko account is me reviewing someone talking about horror bullshit, which I think is super funny and cool, but no one else likes. <laughs> <laughs> I really um, like your TikTok content. I'm so yeah, into look, it. So do... So do scores of other people. So good on them. We've got 111 likes, but as I say, most 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 of those likes are on those outlier TikToks. And the outlier TikTok for us was me using the wrong account. I thought I was using my Coffee and Case Note account, and so I've recorded 
60 seconds talking about a minority shareholder dispute and a breach of director's duties. And it is comfortably the most successful Spooko TikTok ever. And so, yeah, like it's, it's two degrees of magnitude more successful than our otherwise most successful. And I was, and we've got a couple of snooze emojis on there, which is good fun. <laughs> but one of them is like, because I'm, because I'm walking to the beach. And so the question raised is thirst trapping now. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And so I had to go and Google it. And apparently it's using social media to sort of be slightly attractive, but talking about something else. So like you have a shirtless dude cooking dinner or a woman in a bikini explaining accounting or something like that. So no, we're not. But if we were, it would be a more successful TikTok account. It's also not quite that. It's more, sorry to mansplain this to you, Paige. No, no, do, do, do. Get at me. Thirst Trap is basically like when there's someone, there's someone who is following you on social media and you mm. want them to see you hot, but you don't want to directly be like, hey, Paige, this photo's for you. So to your point, it's like, I know you're following me. I'm into you. So I want you to see me like shirtless, but I don't want to be like, Hey Peach, here's, like so I want to do it. I've like it's it's a oh, it's, it's a, like a, a subtweet. It's like yeah. it's, it's at someone. It's, it's, no, it's no, at a it's not person. at someone. My point is, it's like it's it's for you, but it's not directed at you. It's more like it's I'm just gonna sort yeah, of okay. look hot, and hopefully the people who follow me are gonna see. Like it's yeah. Anyway, I'm also a lot of the chefs I follow on TikTok have been going for more like sleeveless shirts and like a shirtless <laughs> vibe, and so I think this maybe explains. It. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of like big arms on TikTok for chefs now these days. I'm like, okay, cool, good on you guys. Okay, which brings us to the yeah. horror movie podcast, and you know the data's out of the way. We've done our maths homework. Now we can have our dessert. Well, I spoke about Jesus before. And we have said this before, both of us mm. brought up in Christian family. So anytime, you know, we're critical. Not me, but, but I get where you're coming from. I, yep. but, but anytime we're critical of Christianity in any way, it is from a place of love. It is a place of knowing. It is a place for the wanting the world to be a better place. You know, rather than just... Yes. Dig, yeah, that's, I just I'm just trying it's to be diplomatic. constructive criticism, yes. Exactly. Yes, I'm just trying to be diplomatic here. Yes. So... The, on the opposite side of data is faith. And faith, by its very nature, is believing in something without having any data. In fact, faith only works if you have no data. If you have data, you can't have faith because then it's proven. <laughs> the, and... small, the small data heads are all about faith. Exactly, right? Exactly. Like, so that brings me to, and like I, I swear I'm getting to today's film in a roundabout I'm way. I'm having fun. But it brings me to a film from 2014 that I'm hate obsessed with. In fact, it's probably the genre I hate the most. And it's it's a film that makes my blood boil. It is a film called God Isn't Dead or God's Not Dead. It's one of the two. It's a terrible title because it's a play okay. on the... It's, is, it, is it Nietzsche? He's a the philosopher? Yeah. Nietzsche who says God is dead, isn't who it? Who said yeah. God is dead. This sort of leads back into my advice about LinkedIn success, is to say things that sound like they're controversial but actually are completely uncontroversial. And so <laughs> this film, <laughs> regardless of whether... I feel like putting an apostrophe in a film title is always a bad idea. As someone who has an apostrophe in their surname and it's made life very exciting. Add to the URL. Yeah, okay. Yeah, don't do it. So hopefully it's God is not dead rather than God's not dead or God isn't dead. Nah, I'm pretty sure it's God's not dead. It's, it's well look the whole thing i mean it's an artless genre it's so the genre is christian propaganda which 
In Australia, we don't get a lot of it, I think. You know, we don't have an overt... I mean, we have a Prime Minister who's fucking QAnon-affiliated and goes to one of those hands-outstretched churches, sure. But we don't have that crazy, overtly evangelical Christian culture that I think they do in the Mm. States. So this is a film that's screened in cinemas in the States in 2014. I don't think... It just made it straight to sort of DVD or straight to streaming here. Mm. And... Basically, oh my God, like the premise of it makes me so mad. It's about a good and wholesome Christian boy who goes to college, joins an evil philosophy class where his teacher, Kevin Sorbo, a.k.a. Hercules, is oh, like, sick. is an atheist who is like, okay, I'm going to, like, we're going to go through all of the, the syllabus except theology. As long as everybody just agrees that God is dead, we can just skip over it. And of course, this Christian kid puts his hand up and says, well, God isn't dead. I believe in God. And then they have these like three centerpiece debates, which number one are really fucking painful and built Is on... Is this so- the horror film we're doing today? No, 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 I it's can't... not. It's not, oh, but I'm okay, getting cool. there. But I'm getting, like, there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. It's okay. just important I tell you about this, right? Yeah. So basically this whole film is different scenes that lead up to these three debates in which this young, bright-eyed Christian student slowly convinces his evil lecturer and the rest of his class, including, get this, a Buddhist Chinese kid who speaks in a horribly racist, broken English, oh uh, who God. converts to Christianity, and and a Muslim girl whose dad forces her to wear a hijab oh uh, and God. beats her when she says she's interested in Christianity. And then she converts to Christianity as well. So, But that's not even the worst part. So at the end, at the end, at the end, they have a debate where he proves that God's real, which negates faith. Because if you prove God's real, then faith doesn't exist and it's meaningless. What? Like the whole thing is just... This the is the worst. point of faith. <laughs> it's just, it's the worst film in the world, right? And so, and so... When I was watching the film we're doing today, strangely (laughs) enough, the one film it reminded me of more than anything, despite its amazing cast, despite the fact that it did really well at the box office, despite many magazines have put it in the top 100 scariest films of all time, this film, more than anything, reminded me of God's Not Dead. Today, on the podcast, we're doing a film from 2005 called The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Do you understand how long they can put you away for this? I want people to hear what only I can tell. And what is that? What really happened to Emily and why. She believed that her actual possession began that night at the hospital? I think she did. Emily had epilepsy. Father Moore's beliefs are based on superstition. Did Father Moore ask you to give her any medical help? I couldn't help her. Why couldn't you help her? Because there are no injections against the devil. Demons exist, whether you believe in them or not. Peach, you just watched the trailer for The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And I have to ask you, I know we semi-regularly do this, but I think it's really important this time for you to tell me what you think this movie's about, what happens in this film. Firstly, it includes the greatest line in cinema that I think I've ever heard of a doctor, (laughs) a medical professional. The question is put of, why didn't you treat Emily Rose? And the response is... Because there are no injections against the devil. <laughs> Which I just, I just feel like from a screenwriting perspective, the idea that medicine is injections is very much a sort of toddler's 
perspective of if someone gets sick, you give them some injections, right? That's how, so that's how medicine works. So true. And it's like the screenwriter's like, no injections against the devil. And there's a tiny chance that that's a directly relevant and put in context line that makes a lot of sense. But my spider sense is that, no, that's completely wrong. This is a film that is a trial of a priest who is accused of murdering Emily Rose. The evidence before the court is uh, uh, tapes of the alleged possession and witnesses who either shed light or slightly obfuscate whether or not Emily Rose was truly possessed. Um, um, The um, final element of the film is very much like that Philip Seymour Hoffman, Meryl Streep one, Doubt. Well, it was a play, I suppose, first, where um, we are left in a position where we are not certain Emily was truly possessed or whether the priest was deranged, but we are invited and firmly nudged towards having faith that demons are real and walk amongst us. I give it two and a half stars. <laughs> Bitch, that was exceptional. And you did pick up on something that I, I find truly bizarre about this film. Now, I, I do want to say this is one of the worst films I've ever seen. I've it with a passion. <laughs> the way it's uh, shot. It's like looking. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not oh. good at the technicalities of film, but the way it's shot is like how you film a party on an iPhone of like, so Shag's talking, so you're filming him then someone else talks and the camera just moves over to that person. So it's one shot that moves around a lot. But I suppose it's a way of saving money on film, but far out, it's irritating to watch. And artless. It, it, it's completely artless, which I find bizarre for a few reasons. So, you know, two pretty major stars, Laura Linney and Tom Wilkinson, who you may remember, uh, the, he's in everything, but the one thing I always remember in Batman, Batman Begins, Begins. Is the mob boss. Yeah, you know, he and he has doing that a, bad Boston accent. Doing a moderate accent of like, no, could have just got someone <laughs> from Boston. <laughs> but it's also directed by a guy called Scott Derrickson. Now, before this film, mm. he had uh, directed a couple of sequels for films we've already done. He did a Hellraiser sequel. He did an Urban Legend sequel. Mm. After this film. He went on to do both the Sinister franchise, which was, you know, a moderate to big horror hit, but also he directed Doctor Strange. So he's, you know, one of the rare directors who's made their way into the MCU and, you know, made crazy Marvel dollars. So it's it's a film of rare pedigree that shouldn't be as terrible or as didactic as this, but it absolutely is. Now, you were very close with your uh, synopsis of this film, but you're quite generous because even though Scott Derrickson, who calls himself a believer and growing up before he went into film writing, he studied theology at uni. So you can kind of see where his head's at. Mm. Uh, he decided to team up with who he saw as a non-believer co-writer, Paul Harris Boardman. So the film would come across as not uh, biased in any way. And it's not at all. It is the, like, it's as bad as God's not dead. Like, honestly, by the end, I've, I, I just, I was like, Laura Linney, what are you doing? Like, I know, I know people have trouble with love actually, but my God, this film is like a million, million, trillion times worse. <laughs> but the other thing is, and I'm glad you picked up on it as well. This is a strange film because it's a horror film. It's based, it's a based on a true story film. It's a Christian propaganda film. 
But also it's a courtroom film. Like, it's basically a John Grisham novel. And this is why I was so excited. When I started watching it, I was like, even though I hate this, I want to do this because there are so many questionable things that happen in the courtroom in this film that I'm like, is that cool? Like, it, like and I, I understand Australian law and American law are different, but I imagine a lot of the principles are the same. As well, telling a film by flashback is always a brave choice and it always makes me roll my eyes straight away. So, like, if we go back to... The Muggsy Bone, um, Bugsy, Bug, I was just calling Muggsy Bugs, the Bugsy, <laughs> Bugsy Malone vehicle, the gentleman, like Matthew McConaughey is drinking a pint and then uh, very early in the film, and then the camera comes down to the pint and you hear a gunshot and there's blood splattered all over it. And we're left to assume he gets shot. <laughs> and so it's all in flashback. And it turns out someone who was about to kill him was shot. So the person who double crossed him got double crossed. And it like, even if you are an acclaimed, well, not acclaimed, even if you are a profitable director like Guy Ritchie, a flashback is an ambitious thing to do and probably a fool's errand. But to tell a whole film in flashback when you don't understand screenwriting enough to be like, <laughs> the way to balance it is just to bring in someone else because I'm incapable. Um, <laughs> it just strikes me as a stupidly ambitious thing to do. But Why also, not tell like, your story in a straight line? That's a really good point. If he didn't bring someone in, how crazily Christian would it have been? <laughs> like, my God, this is what happens when you have someone in to be like, now, Scott, you're going a little bit too far. <laughs> it starts with a lawyer named Aaron Bone, played by Laura Linney, who's an ambitious lawyer. And that's pretty much all the characterization we get. We get at the start, someone being like, you're a rising star in the firm. And she's like, well, I could be rising higher. And then the, her boss is like, what do you mean? She's like, I want to be partner. So that's her character. All she cares about at the start of the film is selfish <laughs> stuff. But by the end... She will have got faith. Can't wait. She used to go to church as a girl shag, but being an ambitious lawyer got in the way. Yeah. But I also like is is there you know, it, this is this is from a culture that is like the most capitalist culture in the world where like trying hard at your job and being successful is a good thing. It's weird to be like this is a immoral thing. So I'm I'm on the record as saying I'm a Slytherin. Um because I'm, you know, sort of about sort of about achieving stuff and about, you know, forming relationships between people and, you know, trying to see if there's any opportunities in there. Whereas at heart, I'm a Hufflepuff. So I'm like a Slytherin-inflected Hufflepuff. And ambition is sort of the defining Slytherin trait, Chug, as I'm sure you know. And it's not to be demonised. Like, who are the... Like, who is who is Gandhi but for? Like, who is Jesus but for? Um, you know, who is you, Martin that, Luther that is King a bold claim to say both Jesus and Gandhi and Martin Luther King. They all, all would have been in Slytherin, the best house of all. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so she's an ambitious lawyer, uh, and her boss is basically like, I'll make you partner if you take on this highly publicized case of Father Richard Moore, a Catholic priest charged with a negligent homicide following an attempted exorcism of 19-year-old student Emily Rose. So at the start of the film, Emily Rose is dead and there's an initial scary shot of a detective coming into the house. Everyone's distraught. The priest is there and the detective's like, I don't think she died of natural causes. Priest, you've got to come with me. But 
But there we are. We've got our we've got our priest being escorted away for murder. So it's it's a big deal. The archdiocese uh, wants the priest to plead guilty to minimise the crime's public attention, but the priest insists on pleading not guilty. And he says to Laura Linney, he's happy for her to be his lawyer, but only if he can tell Emily's story. So, so who's who's paying the legal fees? Do it like do we do we get do we get into the, it? The archdiocese. Okay. The archdiocese are paying the fees. And so, like, they're paying full full freight for like an expensive special counsel, Laura Linney level. You know, she's she's apparently like she goes into a bar and other lawyers are like, watch out. Here's this star lawyer on the right. But she's a criminal lawyer, criminal defense lawyer. I mean, uh, like, I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the partner of the firm care about whether. Yeah. Okay. All right. This is the partner in the firm. We're at a bar with her mm. and she's like, when am I going to be made partner? And the partner's like, well, take this case and uh, so good things can if happen. She wins. She gets partnership. The, I guess the implications there, but it's the deal is she takes the case and then he will make her a partner. Okay. So this it's really important that you understand the legalities of this film because yeah 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 like because in a like Shag you know you know this like the institutional wrongs of particularly the Roman Catholic Church in Australia there's been a defence that's extremely effective legally that's called the Ellis defence and there's every chance you've heard of this. But essentially is the Catholic Church doesn't exist. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's that and, mean? And that's that the, the that's the defense. What? <laughs> um and it's very effective because you can't but, sue. Sorry, sorry, how does that work? How can they say the Catholic Church doesn't exist? It's not a legal entity that can be sued. So you sue the trustees of the this or the brothers of the parish of this or you ah. or however you constitute the proceedings i should really know more about this because i've done some work in this area but but that feels ever so slightly unchristian in in Uh, my basic knowledge of christianity obviously it's traversed (laughs) in this film and i'm just looking to see if they treat it with the subtlety and sophistication (laughs) that it needs all right so the archdiocese wants them to plead guilty and then take a deal the prosecutors sort of say, we want you to plead. We've got this really good deal. But the priest is resolute. He's like, no, I just need to tell Emily's story. And Laura Linney's a little bit frustrated because she's kind of like, I just want to get this over with, but fuck it. Okay, let's go with it. And she's actually kind of annoying because at the start, she's like, oh, God, schmod. But ever so slowly oh, yes. during the film, <laughs> she's like, there's something to what this priest is saying about good and evil. Anyway. But hang on, faith, faith isn't even about good and evil. Is <laughs> no, it? So this is the problem. This is the problem. So, so Father Richard Moore in this film is basically a superhero. Like, yeah, okay, yep. he basically knows how to fight demons. You saw that in the trailer where he's like, demons exist. And, you know, there are points where he's like, you have to protect yourself from demons. It's like, well, that's not what a priest does day to day. You can't exactly. tell the priesthood by being like, you're a fucking superhero because <laughs> yeah. you are not. Demon, anyway. Demon warrior. <laughs> oh, it's that demon it's like there are so many frustrating things about this film. Anyway. In fairness, it's based on a true story, though. So during the trial, the statements of the witnesses are visualised via flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Prosecutor Ethan Thomas interrogates several doctors and neurologists to establish a medical cause for Emily's death, particularly epilepsy and schizophrenia. So the, the, the prosecution argues that the priest was negligent because she had a couple of conditions. Hang on, like crim- criminally negligent? 
such that it founds a murder charge. Murder? Because it's a it's a it's a homicide charge because he said she shouldn't take her drugs. He was basically the Pete Evans in this, being like, drugs are bad, you should just fight this naturally and spiritually. Why would she listen to him? Like, why Why is it visited upon him in okay. criminal All proceedings? Right. All right, so... It turns out, even though Emily came from a very small town and a super religious family, she got this scholarship to college. Yes. And so she goes there, she Blood meets God's a boyfriend. Yes. But weird, scary shit starts to happen to her. So she drops out of her college studies after being consistently struck by delusions and muscle spasms at 3 a.m. So you can kind of see how on the defense, they're saying, well, those delusions and muscle spasms are possession. But on the prosecution, they're saying no, they're epilepsy. And- so that's the argument that's run. Like, yes. the other one's run well, is the well, priest. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. At first, they try to just counter the medical argument. But halfway through, Laura Linney's like, billions of people believe in Christianity. What if we argue that she was possessed? That becomes the legal argument in court. <laughs> is wait, it true? Wait. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So- this is my favorite movie. <laughs> So, like uh, oh, oh, and, and all this weird stuff happens to her at 3 a.m. and all their clocks stop and Laura Linney's watch stops at 3 a.m. Because apparently, according to our superhero priest who knows everything about demons, demons see 3 a.m. as an inversion of the Holy Trinity and it mocks God. So that's why demons do bad stuff at 3 a.m. And that's why you've got to be scared of 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, and it's... everyone, the weirdest thing. So he says this in court and everyone's like, hmm. <laughs> this is expert testimony. <laughs> like he literally says it in court, and everyone's like, and all the jury are like, like, hmm. Hmm, that. <laughs> but it, like hasn't three AM only existed for about five hundred years? Yes. Like, yeah, like hasn't, hasn't time existed for not very long? Like, it's like demons hate Xboxes. Anyone who's got an Xbox, look out! Like what? Like what the fuck are you talking about? Anyway, so after she drops out of her studies, she returned to her parents' home and was treated with epilepsy and psychosis medications. Father Moore was consulted when her condition failed to improve, and his assessment and observations led him to the conclusion that Emily was being possessed by a demon. With the consent of Emily's parents, Moore subjected Emily to an exorcism. How old is she? Uh, 19. 19. So the parents consented for her? Yeah. Uh, I think, like, maybe the... they, she they were quite, capacity, do we think? I think they were quite heavy drugs she was on. Okay. Um, so uh, that, uh, Moore, sorry, that uh, fucked warning would never happen. Yep, continue. So Moore subjected Emily to an exorcism that ultimately failed. It's weird that that is one sentence in this Wikipedia because that is the main scary sequence of the film and it's, it's basically The Exorcist. Like, they watched The Exorcist well, and they're like, we'll just repeat this beat for beat. Although... The worst part, though, is it eventually ends up in the family's farm. She's, like, there being all scary and all her limbs are weird stuff and screaming. And there's a black horse in the distance that's freaking out because horses sense demons better than humans do. I don't know. They hate 2am horses. And this is what I fucking hate, right? Because mm. at least Hereditary... Well, actually, no, not at least. Hereditary is amazing. But Hereditary did its homework and picked a sort of, you know, not super well-known devil or demon to, just to make it feel a little bit more real and a bit more scary. Yeah. In this point, the priest is like, tell us your name, demon. And it turned out there were six demons possessing her, including Lucifer. So the actual fucking devil was in there because all these voices come in. And it's like, I am Belial. And then there's one that's like, 
I am Lucifer, king of the darkness or something. And it's like, so literally the devil and five other five demons others. have come to earth just to possess this college student. And the worst thing she does at one point, she's like sitting on the ground and she picks up spiders and eats them. And it's supposed to be this really scary, creepy scene. And it's a bit gross, but it's also just dumb. So, so anyway, so, so that's, a, that's the big scary sequence that I think Empire Magazine ranked it as number 86 of the 100 scariest films of all time. Like, people think this is a scary film. People love and fear this film. Good. Roger Ebert gave this three out of four stars. RIP, dude, but one of your worst calls. All right, okay, so... Shame. That's a good callback. So the exorcism ultimately fails. The priest surmises, and this is where it gets fucked, especially because it's based on a true story, that Emily's medications were to blame for the unsuccessful expulsion as they paralyzed Emily's brain activity and kept the demon out of reach. So it wasn't his fault. It was the medication's fault. And thus she should get off the medication to help get rid of this demon that is definitely the so cause of like her muscles. like a Scientology inflected Christian <laughs> Well, it's the worst kind of Christianity that's cult-like that's like, don't believe the experts, don't trust experts, they don't know, only trust me, only no. trust your God, only trust your priest, he's the only one that can, you know, lead you out of this situation that didn't really exist until I told you you were in. It, like, do you see why I yes. hate this film so much? It's such complete gaslight. I mean, this is look. There are any number of problems, but but it, like institutional gaslighting from the Catholic Church of like, firstly, you are possessed. Like, so that's a huge bit of gaslighting. And then, secondly, here is the process we will go through to cure something that we that only we can understand and only we can cure. Yeah. So Father Moore wanting to tell Emily's story. So we're still, this is still a court case that's ongoing. Yes. Uh, oh, and there's a point where they play. The, so, okay, number one, uh, this is what I want to ask you, because before we go any further, yeah. so far the defense is on the testimony of the priest, who yes. is, you know, the one being charged for negligent homicide. Yes. And his testimony says, I was there, I saw her being possessed. And then he plays a tape that has some really scary screaming on it. And she's like, did you doctor this tape in any way? And he's like, no. And she's like, the defense rests. Like, their their proof is his testimony and a tape he has that she was possessed. Surely. And, and yes. like, the, the judge is, like, the whole time, like, the, like, like mm. the prosecution are like, objection. And he's like, she's like, shut the fuck up. I'll allow this. And the jury are, like, wrapped. The jury is like, this is gold. How the fuck... Would this fly in a courtroom? How could you possibly argue that? Well, no, that's a question for you to answer, right? Because I'm not allowed to be on a jury because I got my law degree and I've been admitted. Shag, you're, you're allowed to be on a jury. So you are 12 of Emily Rose's peers. And so the question for you is, would that be enough, Shag, to convince you beyond a reasonable doubt, beyond any form of doubt, including that the priest might have been suffering from a mental illness or, have, or having made it all up, would that satisfy you beyond a reasonable no, doubt that she No, didn't? not at all. Not even close. <laughs> and I'm surprised because Laura Linney's supposed to be this hotshot lawyer that she goes into a law bar and everyone's like, Laura fucking Linney's in this bar. It's like, my God, it pisses me off. But anyway, so... Just and like just as like a as a pop culture FYI, the idea that anyone is a good lawyer based on like zingers and sort of 
dismissive swag <laughs> um, is ill-founded. It's it's not a good way to like. If you're like, I should go into this. I love zingers. I love zingers. I love swag. Like I love going to bars and dressing cool. They're not really the ingredients, and I suspect Laura Linney's probably suffering from burnout. And if she is in her mid thirties and highly ambitious. There's every chance um, she's suffering from stress and probably needs some mental health assistance of her own, especially if she's drinking heavily in order to deal with the rigours of practice. Which is why Father Moore becomes even more insidious, and that's, you know, uh, Mm. a call forward to Scott Mm. Derrickson's future work after this film. Mm. Because she is in a vulnerable place, so she is at the right spot to be gaslit by a charismatic cult leader who's telling her... And, and this whole time, while she's defending him, he's like, now watch out, demons are coming for you too, can you feel it? And she's like, I can look after myself. And that's when he utters the line where it's like, doesn't matter if you don't believe in demons, because they believe in you or some shit. It like, it, this film pisses me off so much. Anyway. But like, is this an anti-church film, perhaps no. arguably? Is, is no. there like a meta level to this of like, how fucked is this? No, 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 no. I mean, maybe. Like, I mean, that's that's what I got out of it. But actually, no, I just got out of it that, like, fuck, like, evangelical Christianity even more than I already thought. But anyway, look, let, let, let me keep going with this. So, Father Moore gives his testimony when he is called to the witness stand. All the while that this is happening, Erin begins experiencing supernatural phenomena at home, including waking up at 3 a.m. to the smell of burning material and her watch stopping at 3 a.m. every night. This character is actually not a thousand miles away from the character in Batman Begins. Now that I think about it, of like it's a world you like you'll never understand, but you'll always fear. Was it like you always fear? He's basically doing the same thing. When she's she's been waking up, you know, late at night, she's been smelling burning things. He uses that to be like, hey, I've been smelling burning things too, and also waking up. So you're probably being targeted by demons. Even <laughs> now, I'm like. That was such an obvious, like, oh, like ploy from him. Like, obviously, he just used what she said. But anyway, yep. anyway, anyway. Aaron supports Moore in the trial by summoning an anthropologist, Sadia Dan, to testify about the beliefs surrounding spiritual possession from various cultures. And the way that they set up this expert witness is, she's like, I studied at Yale and have a thing from Oxford. And as the audience, you're supposed to be like, now, hang on. Oxford and Yale are good universities, but she's saying that spiritual possession might not be that weird a thing to talk about. Ah, we're just bringing it into the mainstream. <laughs> and look how smart this person is. <laughs> uh, but the prosecutor, Thomas, dismisses her claims as nonsense. Graham Cartwright, a medical doctor who attended the exorcism that we only find out about later because the priest didn't want anybody to know that there was a doctor at the exorcism. Again, pretty dodgy behavior. Yes, yes. So there was a doctor there. That's arguably... Yes, but this is the doctor. This is the the priest. Why haven't they... No, because this is the doctor who said that there's no injection for the devil. Okay. So this is the dog that stands by. He's like, poof, this, this battle with the devil, this exorcism is <laughs> pretty intense. So Cartwright's testimony to authenticate the exorcism and refute the prosecution's medical case is prevented when he is suddenly struck by a car. And again, this is one of those, this is one of those, like, it's, it's weird because it's like, it's half courtroom, half here's some spooky exorcism kind of scenes. And yeah. that's one of them. And it's sort of like, okay, well, there were six demons. I'm glad... 
finally one of them did something to help their case. But what are these demons up to or trying to do? Like, if this is all... Like, imagine that. If you're What's Lucifer, their plan? You've got eternity. Like, plan? I'm going to hang out in this young woman with five mates. <laughs> and I'm going to go eat some spiders. I hate 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> And like, what if I made everyone wake up at 3 a.m.? <laughs> Ingenious. <laughs> a distraught Erin retreats to her office where her boss threatens her with termination if she what? allows the priest to testify again. So, yeah, so, 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 like, so, yes, yes, so there's this weird scene where at the start he's like, you're a hotshot and I'm going to do whatever. Then he comes in and he's like, you do what I say. I don't want that priest testifying again. If he does, you're out of a job. And it's just a weird scene. Well, she's such a hotshot. Firstly, she'd be like, mm, yeah, let's fucking see. Like, that, like, that, <laughs> like, the Laura Dern who, like, runs, runs a trial the way that we understand her to have run it earlier. Laura Linney, sorry. Would be like, all right, my son. Like, let's, like, <laughs> let's fucking go and let's find out how right you are. Yeah, and also that would never happen. And also it's an interesting way to be like, I'll go into partnership with you or fire you. They're the two <laughs> imminent options. <laughs> There's also this amazing moment where, and again, like it's just one of those things where like I wish you were there to see this moment, but never watch this film because it's terrible. Okay. But there's a moment where she's like, I'm going to put him on the stand because I'm doing right for my client. I took an oath to do whatever's right for my clients. And then the boss is like, no shit. He's like, oath schmoth. It doesn't matter. (laughs) 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 Just do what I say. If your ambition really is what motivates you, not faith. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right, okay, okay. So, Bone, uh, Aaron Bone. They keep calling her Bone in this. It's so fucking weird. So, Aaron then visits Father Moore in his jail cell one more time where he convinces her to allow him to tell the rest of Emily's story despite her boss's threat. You swear your duty to the court, right? And you've got an (laughs) obligation. Well, in fact, this is mainly in civil procedure, so commercial and it's like civil disputes to to assist the court in being just, quick, and cheap. And so the idea of like, guys, I know that we're nearly done with this trial, but my client would love you to hear the full story. And the judge being like, okay. The judge the whole way through this film is just like, anytime Laura Linney does anything, it's like, I'll allow it. Anytime the prosecution does anything, she's like, sit down, prosecution. Literally. She is like one-sided from the get-go. Nice. I love that uh, as well. A court of appeal doesn't appear to exist in this universe. Like you just as you're sitting there as a prosecution, you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just hand down whatever the judgment is. Like we're like <laughs> we're doing this. Like we're we doing this again. <laughs> All right. Okay. So the next day, Father Moore takes the witness stand again and reads a letter that Emily wrote before she died. Again, very convenient to just bring this up at the very end the of the trial. Says, confirming that it's an exorcism. Not... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So she, first of all, yeah, she confirms she was exercised, but it failed. So on the morning after the exorcism, and this is like, I, like, I'm, I'm so sorry to read this to you because this is the worst thing we'll ever read in Spooko. <laughs> Emily was visited by the Virgin Mary in a field near her house and was permitted the choice of ascending to heaven. However, 
Emily chose to endure her suffering and later received stigmata on her hands so the rest of the world could know that demons exist. She says that in the letter. In the letter. To, to the and he reads this out. And he reads this out to the court. Uh, yeah, the letter she wrote to the priest. He reads it out to the court. Did and she the priest even have and the, the, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, we just find this out that she did at the end. No one does anything to verify that the letter's hers. They all just take the priest at his word that this note that just appeared. Do they even see the note? Or they just listen to him read it. No, 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 it's not a. (laughs) (laughs) They just, like, no, it's not admitted as evidence at all. It's literally, he just opens up this note and reads it and then closes it again. And it's basically oh, like... takes it home defense. with him, takes it back to his house. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the defense like doubly rests. <laughs> takes it back to just... uh, But they're like, I'm gripped. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> There's no cross-examination. There's no... It's like the, the prosecution's like, fuck. They've got it. <laughs> <laughs> it was going so well. <laughs> The jury ultimately reaches a verdict of guilty, but get this, right? So Mm. it's guilty. We cut to the priest. The priest is like, but then, so what happens is the the judge is like, okay, he's guilty. Uh, We'll do sentencing in like a month's time or whatever. And then Laura Linney's like, father more requests that he's sentenced right now. And then the judge is like, oh, well, does anybody else in the room have a problem with that? The prosecution's, <laughs> like, the prosecution's like, no. And she's like, cool, let's send it to like, now. Let's get a victim then... impact statement from the family and stuff like that. <laughs> no. Okay, no. okay. And, and then, and then, and then the jury's like, uh, judge, if we may, we have an idea of what the sentencing should be. What? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. And the judge is like, and the judge is like, I'll allow this. I'm interested in what you guys have to say. <laughs> And the jury go, we think the sentence should be time served. The judge, without even missing a beat, is like, agreed. More, you're guilty, but you're free to go. Court's out of session. Bangs her gavel. Then, then like, I, I'm having to, like, this is amazing. <laughs> so Erin is then approached by her boss who threatened to fire her and said her oath doesn't matter. And is like, you did well in there, kid. I think it's time you become partner. Which she ultimately declines. Like, okay, yeah. Like, to, to be like, no, I'm quitting the law or something? Or I'll just remain employed working for you? No, I think she's going to become a full-time Christian because then she visits the grave with Father Moore and Father Moore's like, I think in time Emily's going to become a saint. Uh, cuts to black and then it says <laughs> on screen... I and, and then Emily's going to become a saint. And then, and then on the screen it says Emily Moore's grave is still a place where Christians make pilgrimages to share their belief in demons. And that's the end of the film. Can you see how there's no, there's no mistaking the message of this film? It's yeah. quite clear what it's trying to say. Yeah, demons exist. So does the, the Virgin Mary and God. Um, <laughs> they will have a real impact interacting in your life. So you'd better believe in them and stop being ambitious. Uh, listen to horses if they're freaking out because horses know when demons horses, are about. Horses have got the got the sixth sense for demons. This is maybe my favourite synopsis, or perhaps the synopsis I'm most gra- most grateful for. So, like, I don't want to watch most of these films, but I expect this is the one that I'd number one don't want to watch. 
And I feel like I got all the gems, thanks to you, Shag. We got all the gold nuggets that this film had to offer us. So gratitude, Shag, gratitude, which brings me one step closer to the teachings of His Holiness, Gary Vaynerchuk. (laughs) Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?